Pardon the interruption. I just wanted to tell you about something that I have been consuming lately, uh, and I've been feeling good. I've been feeling great. You know who else is feeling great? Chuck Norris. He's still kicking butt. He's still staying active. He's well into his 80s, and uh, he looks more jacked than ever. He seems to have more energy than guys half his age. You know what he attributes it to? Morning kick. This is a new daily drink from Roundhouse Provisions. It's got your ultra-potent greens like spirulina and kale, as well as probiotics, prebiotics, collagen, even ashwagandha. Yes, that's right. I know you haven't been getting enough ashwagandha in your life. Well, here it is for you. You mix it with water, you stir it, you enjoy it. Unlike all the other green drinks out there, this actually tastes exactly like strawberry lemonade. It has hundreds of five-star reviews. People are digging it. So roundhouseprovisions.com slash Josh is where you get a discount. You'll also help us if you do this. You get up to 44% off uh, your regular priced order at roundhouseprovisions.com slash Josh. Plus, every purchase is backed by a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want to experience smoother digestion, a boost of energy, and just an overall healthier body, go to roundhouseprovisions.com slash Josh today. G'day, humans. This is Uncomfortable Conversations. Welcome to The Bugs, uh, which is technically a panel chat show about science and tech-related news, but which actually uses nerd headlines to discuss bigger questions of life, the universe, and everything. My co-chatterers today are Joel Pearson and Radio. Joel, you're an inveterate frequent guest this week. It's just, just by accident that you're I can't on stop twice. coming. Yeah. We're not actually... It, more sceptical people will think that we're recording this on the same day and being lazy... But there's actually a two-month gap between your last appearance. And I changed my T-shirt from white to black if my memory (laughs) serves If you can't see Joel's T-shirt, you have to come to YouTube (laughs) instead of listening to the podcast, and you'll see Joel's beautiful face and also the beautiful face of Rad. Hello, Rad. Hello. Uh, Do you want to introduce yourself? Maybe. Uh, Or do you want to just, you can plug it, you can plug things at the end, but like. Not now, but not now. You can plug things whenever you want to. Uh, My name's Rad. I'm a technology journalist and media presenter over everything and everywhere and i just really love nerdy stuff rad knows everything about everything <laughs> except for probably cooking do you cook no i do cook i'm actually a really good cook. oh really yeah. wow yeah. is there anything what's the field in which you're least informed? <laughs> let's maths. start there what's the maths. maths i'm actually quite bad at maths call yourself a nerd well uh I don't maybe think you that, don't i i don't think that maths is necessarily a key component of being a nerd i think that mm. there's multiple disciplines that you know well, not not with AI now, right? You don't need to know yeah, well, math. You don't, you don't need, need to program. You don't need to do any of that anymore. Yeah. It's true. And also, like, even if you look at some of the mathier sciences, like physics, a lot of it's also conceptual. So I, mm. while I may not be able to do the calculations per se, I can still understand and talk about the concepts. You're sounding like those people who wear T-shirts that say, imagination is more important than knowledge, <laughs> Einstein. You know, it's those, true. And, like, it's always it's true, Josh. It's like the fact that Einstein once said that is now the bane of his heritage because idiots <laughs> use it as an excuse to uh, to not know things. And yeah. who's the bigger idiot, the idiot or the idiot that asked the idiot to come oh, to the that's show? That's a very good point. Uh, uh, the first human has received a, bl- a brain implant from Elon Musk's Neuralink company uh, this week. Um, I love this. I mean, are we getting to the point at which you can sort of just test on people the way you can test on rockets and if you blow their brains up? then that's just part of the the learning process. Um, What do we make of this? Is the future going to involve human brain interfaces and is this brilliant or loopy on the part of Mr. Musk? Rad, in fact, do you want to explain what Neuralink is? Do you know what Neuralink is? Yes. So Neuralink is a brain-computer interface, uh, which essentially means they put implants into the brain. Um, It has hardware that reads uh, messages or, you know, your neurons firing. 
it interprets those messages and then theoretically it will control something. So, And where's the hardware? Is it in your head or do you have to wheel around a little trolley with a computer on it? <laughs> well, with a, a Commodore it actually, 64. It actually <laughs> depends on who's giving you the implant. So with Neuralink, they currently have a little cable that comes out of your skull, out of your head. Seriously? That, yeah, which feels a bit... I don't like, I don't like a no, cable it's, that but goes... But it's wireless though, isn't it? It's like a little magnet thing that... Like the no, cochlear, isn't it? There are there are wireless ones. Um, there was a university in China which has just announced the first like wireless one that's gone really well, um, which was implanted, I believe, in October last year. But I believe Neuralink actually has a cable. You can double check that if you want. But mm. the, uh, the cable plugs into what? Uh, other hardware that's required to run it. The battery pack, I think. The battery pack sits yeah. on the outside. And so right? the yeah. idea, like I've heard that the part of the idea is that like one day Parkinson's patients could, you know, have be cured because you could be what? We're sending a computer program into a part of their brain. I don't, I don't quite get it. That's, that's slightly different, I believe. I believe ones that deal with Parkinson's often are trying to stimulate a part of the brain um, I'm not, you might know that's, more how That's deep brain stimulation, substantia yeah. niagara, niagara, yeah. Mm. What's the dopamine? I, I guess we should have gone to the neuroscientist. So, I know, like, <laughs> you and I are like, let's talk about brains. <laughs> Shut up, Joel. You're only, a, you're you're like, only a neuroscientist. You know. <laughs> so that's a different thing, yeah. Um, yeah, and that, that that is very promising and people can have stimulation there and they'll go from doing this to dead still. Podcast so that, listeners can't see you, but you're yeah. waving your arm and then YouTube people, your, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm shaking and then, um, yeah, I'm doing a, a okay. A so, but, but and then Neuralink so, is is what exactly? And so it's there to control devices. So think uh, people that have had accidents that like mean. So think people that have had like spinal cord injuries, for example, um, and they can't move their limbs. It's that kind of thing. It it allows them to, for example, uh, the. When I was talking about with the Chinese university, it allowed a stroke, uh, not stroke, sorry, spinal cord injury victim to move a air-powered glove that allowed him to, like, pick up things and drink water. I don't think we call them victims these days, Rad. They're people living <laughs> with spinal differences, not necessarily victims. But can't you do that using the spinal cord and using the neurology of the person? Why does it need to come out of the person? And So, it depends. So... Eventually, like the way Elon Musk talks about this, right? We're going to be controlling our computers, our whatever, our phones. We're going to be just you and me. It's going to be telepathy interacting. Boom, boom, boom. I think the new device is called telepathy, isn't it? I think so yeah, that's the name they gave. So that's what they that's the way they talk about it, and that's like Horizon stuff. That's we're not, nowhere near there. And so Neuralink's not really even leading the field in this. So other other universities mainly, not companies, which is a big difference. So I think Stanford has done it. Some some uh, maybe in Germany they've done it. So yet last year there's a stanford study came out where someone could had an implant and she could um it would they trained it on her intentions she couldn't speak on her intentions to speak and it would decode that so it is using an ai based algorithm. If she can't speak how do they know they've got it right well she like i want to see a picture they, they of train her on looking at, at, actually at, at words and things and they get it so it does work um, and I think it was like sixty words a minute or something like that to the speed. So really, yeah. So it works. So you can you so can this thing can work. Yeah, just using your brain. Yeah, already. Yes. I mean, but the thing you can do that with an EEG cap, basically, right? With the they're not sixty with, words a minute, surely. I don't know, but with that's the electrodes just sitting on your in your with gel on your can hair, you? right? Yeah. I thought you could think like yes, no. It's or getting like pretty. Forward, back, it's getting. But you can't think like. No, the, the studies man climbed like the Facebook Meta's working off on this on a paraglider through an ECG cap. Can you? Wait, what? Say that again. 
You can't think a complicated <laughs> sentence. All I heard like, was paragliding. Yeah, you can't think a complicated sentence and have that translated by just wearing a cap with some gel. Can you? I don't. You can with fMRI now, more or less. It catches the, the gist of what you're saying, not necessarily word for word. So they've done that with fMRI. That was published ju- last year. Um, then actually, scientists at Meta who work for Meta did the similar thing with MEG or EEG. I can't remember, but it's not word for word. It gets the gist of the sentence you right. want to say. Yeah. Right. But it's it's. You don't have to drill a thing into your skull, right? You're not drilling bone and putting a thing, right? Little little needles into your cortex. So it's it's very different in terms of uh, invasiveness, right? But I'm sure it's different in terms of accuracy. Surely, I mean, if you've got a little needle that's it identifying is. precise electrical signals between neurons, that's going to be better than just something it, that's. It is, it, but it's really local. It's like a little thing skull. like this, right? If I put EEG, I can get frontal, I can get visual core, I can get the whole, the whole not the whole brain but the whole the whole skull coverage yeah. right these elect you can't put a thing in that you will one day but at the moment you can't put it you can't open up a whole skull and put it like a, a sticker over the whole brain with little pins and needles so where are they that. sticking these things in in Neuralink? do you know is there a part of the uh, brain responsible for language or something it depends if they're trying to do language or motor so it depends on the individual patient so mm-hmm. it'll be the motor cortex if they want to get movement do an arm or leg so that that was done in a patient in Europe last year. What? Over the motor cortex. And I think he could start, he could walk. So they decoded the wanting to walk signals and that translated to a motor pack here and his legs could be His artificial limbs would just start to walk. No, no, his real legs, but it was like like an exoskeleton kind of situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how is that different from just being able to walk with artificial limbs? The degree of control and the fact that, like, the device doesn't, you know, it lasts a lifetime, it's implanted in a way that is less likely to break down. Um, so one real big problem that has existed with prosthetic limbs for a long time is the degree of control. They tend to be really just gross motor skills. You can't do a lot of fine movements with them. And a lot of that is owing to the kind of control systems that are used there. If you imagine a like really low resolution screen, right? With really big pixels and you can't see the fine details, it's the same kind of thing. So by being able to plug in directly, so to speak, you're getting a lot more kind of nuance um, and detail in the signals that are being sent and therefore in fine motor skills. Got it. So like a person who's lost their hand could be able to delicately thread yeah. a needle or something like that using an uh, exactly an artificial rather, limb. Rather than your more classic artificial limbs that currently exist where they might be lucky to be able to pinch the thumb to the four fingers and pick something up. Right, without crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, they can bop someone on the head and that's yeah. about it. Um, so is this, so the, the vision of Neuralink when you hear Elon Musk talk about it in his more whimsical modes is that someday we're, this is not just going to be for fixing like brain problems or people who've lost limbs or have spinal injuries. This is going to be the way that all of us enhance our cognitive capabilities by expanding our minds into computers in some way. Does that make any sense? Elon is a creature of novelty and ego uh, would be my statement on that. He is someone who, I mean, for better or worse, love him or hate him, he does love to dream big. Um, And I think that historically we have seen a really mixed bag of whether or not that dreaming has resulted in the kinds of results uh, that he has promised or wanted. 
right? Um, so I think neural. But isn't that just a matter of time, sort of? Isn't like the visionary no, is sometimes he dreams up self-driving cars and he says they're always one year away. But I think there will clearly be self-driving cars someday. He talks about going to Mars. You know, maybe it's not going to happen as quickly as he wants to. But if humanity um, survives, we'll probably do it. But I mean, those predictions are kind of like saying, you know, computers and uh, mechanized systems will continue to enhance our lives. Like we know that already. That's not surprising. That's not new. So saying we're going to have self-driving cars, I don't think that that's like a peek into the future. That's, if anything, a pretty logical you know, claim. Same with Neuralink saying we're going to have systems that are able to enhance ourselves. I think that's a pretty logical claim. And I think that there's a really legitimate space where this kind of technology is being worked on, which is this disability and regaining motor function space. Um, And then there is the pie in the sky space that he's talking about. But if BCIs become, you know, what's a BCI? Uh, a brain computer interface. These these little devices we're talking about. If they become commercially viable, they start getting implanted in people. He could say, "Oh yes, look, you know, I was correct. Neuralink, it works, and people are using it because it does have a function, and it probably will become, you know, usable sometime in the future." For what? What would a non a person who doesn't live with a disability use it for? I don't think for? it'll come to that space anytime soon because. You need to remember, these are deeply invasive uh, kind of devices. Right, but look at what some people do to themselves with cosmetic surgery or, like, you know, turning into looking like a Korean pop star or something. Would would you do it, though? Well, no, but I don't control your phone and you can check your X feed. You have to. Oh, you have to do a massive surgery. Yeah, it's it's massive surgery. It's cost. It's the fact that Neuralink at the moment, um, I believe, yeah, doesn't have a wireless kind of charging system. They also implant uh, deeper into the brain, which means that cells can grow over it and that needs to be replaced or updated. Um, there are different. But these are very like- very early days. I feel like yeah. we're at the dawn of like the automobile, and we're saying like, would you get in a car? Well, no, <laughs> I wouldn't if it's like eighteen eighty five. Yeah, are you talking? In the next five years or are you talking 200 years exactly i mean yes i would if the question is if there was a a safe affordable well-proven way of enhancing my ability to understand concepts and for me to think much bigger than i currently do and glimpse visions of reality that heretofore have only been available to me when i'm on acid (laughs) then, yeah, sign me up. (laughs) Well, interestingly, there was a 2019 study that showed that while uh, these interfaces can positively increase a sense of the self and control, they also can induce radical distress, feelings of loss of control, and a rupture of patient identity. I won't get that one. Well, it just, I'll get it the good one because thanks. apparently it starts to blur your understanding and bounds of body ownership, mm. self-image, self-understanding between. Sounds like the dissolution of the ego, baby. Yeah, Come on, it- drink the ayahuasca. <laughs> Let's go. I'm in. Joel. So but, that, yeah, sorry, was, you were going to say. I that. mean, that's one of the things that I was amazed with. So you know, the locked-in syndrome where you, you you can't communicate or you can just move your eyes. There's different versions, sort of degrees of that. And when people have like a, you mean patients who are completely patients, paralyzed, well, they, can just, in, they can communicate with their eyes, yeah. like the person they they did there. So for the first three to six months, those people have you know trauma and they they show depression. But after that, they actually bounce back and show pretty normal. You give them sort of questionnaires that you can get them to respond to. They don't seem upset. They don't seem depressed anymore. And so the years following that, they seem to be quite happy. All the indications we have that is that they're happy. Um, when we think about it changing from the life we live to a life like that, it seems horrific and horrible, right? 
But it seems that's not the case for people living like that, which is an interesting way to try and think about it. But what, what does that have to do with uh, a brain-computer interface? You're saying we shouldn't do it because we could get used to being well, paralyzed? Well, like Raja said, like, like it, if they're having, living a good life and they're enjoying themselves and they, this thing yeah, is I mean, Just because humans are resilient and we get used it, to it, shitty circumstances doesn't mean we shouldn't avoid They would deal with it psychologically, right? There are, there are examples of indiv- individuals who've had um, eye surgery or yeah, genetic things done to their eyes and gotten sight back in their 30s, right? And hate it. Prefer that they go blindfold because they don't like all the light and well, all the stimulation. Well, that's fine. They can have the blindfold. The people who want to see get to see. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not against developing the tech or using it, but there are psychological dimensions to this that we don't know about at all. Right? And I, I think guess. it's maybe an issue of it sounds really cool, but maybe we're like fixing a problem that doesn't exist and it may just not be all it's cracked up to be. That being said, yeah, develop the tech. I, I'm all for developing the tech. I think that it's exciting, but I'm not sure that it is the uh, fun thing that it always sounds. Yeah. I mean, it depends if you're sort of a utopian futurist, doesn't it? Because some, like, if you're kind of content with the way that humanity is, then no, you I, just go, why do we need to, who wants yeah. this stuff? But if you're the kind of person like but, Elon Musk who wants to become a, an interplanetary species and have brains the size of a universe, then you do- but this no, to make agree. that happen. I don't agree because I think that there are already things that augment our lives that also aren't invasive. Right, but we wouldn't have developed those things if it weren't for people who had the mindset of Elon Musk, like Steve Jobs, for example, who was responsible for the the biggest expansion of our brain capacities that we currently live Josh, with, which is the iPhone. Do you not see a delineation between a device that you utilize and something that changes the self? Of course I do, and people prior to the invention of the smartphone would have seen a delineation between tech prior to that and this device, or, you know, the same with the automobile or whatever. I have the biases of this particular, you know, time and place that I live in. Um, You know, in the future, if this happens and becomes normalized, then people won't see that clear delineation. I mean, one of the things we talked about in the last pod we did was how so the human brain is it has one thing to focus at we're typically aware of a, a very narrow thing and we're only focusing i can focus on you and we can't multitask right and computers ai not like that they can multitask up you know to the million they can do multiple things simultaneously and the way elon talks about you know we'll be able to just this is the only way we can combat ai to, to put it add up to humans right so we can expand the number of things we do simultaneously but that's just not how the human brain or any sort of biological system really works right and it's it's a sim- it's an issue with the the apple vision pro right this idea we're just terrible at multitasking we have a very think of it like a spotlight on a stage that's how the brain works mm. we can focus on one thing at a time it feels like we can focus on more than one thing but we can't it's really like- I am know, keenly aware of this listening limitation. To a, Are you listening a to a podcast I mean, I, while I you're am, driving is like terrible. driving drunk, right? The data shows that very clearly. And so all these people walking around with a headset, the Apple headset, which I'm sure we'll get to in a second. Yeah. It's, you know, they're going to get hit by cars and stuff, right? There, there's, there's, we will get to that in a second. But yeah. so let me just uh, then drill into, pardon the pun, Neuralink <laughs> drilling into your brain. <laughs> Let's drill into uh, our brains. Yeah. So what if it was possible for a brain-computer interface- to not be used to enhance the number of things that you can do and to facilitate multitasking, but to give you a greater capacity for deep work and creativity by like just the way that you might insert more RAM into a computer just to give it more processing power. Is it conceivable that you could 
yep. augment my like. There are some things you can do that, that I just now with know Chemicals, that I can't right? know. But like, yeah, I guess so. But yeah. like, the, you know, when you start to talk about the size of the universe, you know, it gets to a point at which you you notice the limitations of the the processing power of your own mind computer. Yeah. You just get to the point where you go, I, I've lost the thread about the scales that we're talking about here. I've just decided that I don't like this because it then becomes a the rich get richer. Kind this of is my main concern. Mm. Yes, is an is an egalitarian one. Does it become like? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you know, you'll, you'll have the people that can afford the best, you know, enhancements, and you'll have those that. Yeah, does it become an accelerant of inequality? Although I did hear, I think it was Mark Andreessen who was saying that, you know, we do t- we do fear that tech is going to create that more of the haves and have-nots, but actually there's no greater democratizer than the smartphone, which if you think about an era of kings and, you know, feudal societies and stuff, there were things that the king had that nobody else had, and there were things that aristocrats lived with that the poor never did. And actually, today, there is, although there's vast economic inequality, the actual, the tools that, are, that most change our lives are largely available to everybody. Smartphones, sanitation, uh, yeah. you know, whatever I, it might well, be. Well, I think it's an interesting point, but I, I am not sure that I think a brain-computer interface is on par with a smartphone because I don't think there's the same level of kind of um, trickle down or used uh, devices that would be able to be passed on, which is one way that uh, people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds would be able to obtain. I mean, it depends whether it becomes as simple as a cataract operation or a you know a, you know yeah, something that's any kind of operation simple. still continues to be pretty expensive. Or well, maybe it'll be something that you can just Home plug brew, into your plug into yeah. your head at, at home. Or yeah. you can put in through, you can feed in through your ear. I mean, we just don't know. But I do think that it's hard when you're on the precipice of a new technology to feel like it could be normal. And I, I do think that if 20 years ago or 25 years ago someone had said to you it's going to be completely normalized that you'll walk around with a supercomputer in your pocket, constantly being bothered by what random people on the other side of the world are saying about something, um, and you would just, and you know, young people are going to spend all of their time communicating with each other, even people they've never met um, on the supercomputer, like that, you would be like, that's not going to be normal. I don't think that's going to be widespread. Like that might be something that some people will want to do, but, no, when, but not I everybody's going to do that. I think I could see that being normal. I think the difference here really is the surgery augmentation element of it. And I think it's very, very different to use something that's outside of yourself versus bring something into yourself. Um, I'm not saying that I don't think it's going to become widespread because I think once people start doing it, it's an advantage, if it is an advantage, and more people will want it. And it's that slow movement towards. But at the same time, I think we continue to have conversations about tech uh, to the tune of just because we should, does that mean that we, uh, just because we can, does that mean that we should? And I think that is more where this conversation sits. Perhaps. And lastly, Joel, how feasible is it that like the the sort of utopian use cases for brain computing interfaces will actually work? Like I'm not, I don't understand enough about how, how close the analogy is between the way that computers process information and the way that the human brain processes information to understand how complicated it would actually be to um, like, for me to go on, go into surgery, and then when I come out, I'm like, oh, I completely understand, you know, something it, that I wasn't able to understand before. Like, is that 
feasible or is not that pie in the sky? Yet, no. the There's both scientific and engineering challenges there, right? So putting using fMRI brain scans or chip in, or electrodes into the tissue and training a thing to decode the letters and, and, and you know, some rough sentences is very different to feeling the stream of the stock market or something like that, right? There's, there's major scientific hurdles to get through in decoding. We don't really understand the way the brain works, what the neural language of thought is yet. And so it's not just engineering and making things smaller, you know, shinier and, and better and faster. It is figuring out that language. So both those things have to happen really before we get to that utopian, you know, telepathy thing with AI. Right. And what about memory capacity? Like just when, if there's an analogy to RAM that I made, then there could be also be an analogy to storage. <sighs> yes. Like, could you put something in my brain now that would give me a greater, maybe not for past memories, but for future memories that would give me a greater capability of storing? Just, likewise, we don't understand where an engram of a memory is, right? It's distributed, the hippocampus, the different areas are very important, but we don't really understand how a memory is stored and distributed in the brain yet. And so without knowing that, you can't, the best way to do it is to give chemicals and molecules to the brain or stimulate it electrically. And you can do things like that and improve those things. But plugging in things, we don't know where to plug and how, what to do yet. I mean, okay. surely it would just come down to further augmentation and it would record video and audio at all times that it would store somewhere that you would then be able to recall through some sort of search using AI that tells you everything that's in that image. Right. Yep. So it doesn't actually have to directly be stored. No. Yeah. yeah. And I, it and wouldn't I experience think, it like a memory. Yeah. I don't think that these devices are going to go in the way of just making you superhuman and enhancing your biology. I think it will give you the ability to use devices that enhance what you do. So in that way, instead of you know, making it so that your memory lasts forever, it's it records things for you that you can then recall in an easier way. This is the perfect segue into the other thing that I wanted to talk about that's in the news <laughs> this week, which is the uh, the Apple Vision Pro. It's been all over the place. This is Apple's new virtual reality headset. It's their first uh, attempt to get into this game. We had the Google Glass glasses, what, probably a decade ago uh, now? And Facebook more, yeah. has been playing around with its Oculus for... Um, for some time. These are mostly used by gamers, but, uh, you know, we're sort of waiting for the killer virtual reality piece of hardware that's going to change the way that we interact with computers. Um, is this a lame corporate attempt to sell us on a phony future? Will virtual reality ever go mainstream? How will we inter interact with computers in the long term? What do you make of it, Rad? Well, I can say for damn sure it's at least better than Meta's little metaverse moment uh, which <laughs> have you used an oculus or one of these uh, very early ones uh -huh. i've used like early oculus and vive and i've used psvr um i haven't used the vision pro is psvr a playstation yes, product? yes. okay it's a playstation uh, it's a gaming only yeah basically VR right. thing. yeah and uh, what do you what did you make of it was it transcendent some people are like oh my goodness this is like a different universe and some people are like eh, it just makes you look too uncool well it's very strange because you start to realize how much you believe what you see so again i've done this primarily in gaming contexts and i've done ones where you're sitting in a chair and using a controller and doing whatever um and those are interesting but they don't really sell it but the ones that totally get you uh, when you're moving your body in a space with the headset on. And that's this really strange experience of knowing 
for example, that you're not walking across a bridge with, you know, a hundred story drop beneath you. Uh, you're walking in a warehouse on a flat floor, but because you can see it, you believe it. Uh, you you know, you're not walking up a wall, but because the camera moves like you are, you fully believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this, this out of body experience um, that I think the Vision Pro has the chance of kind of enhancing upon because it's not looking to just bring uh, those kind of wacky moments. It's looking to integrate into your everyday life. What's the pitch? How do, what's, the, what's that integration into your everyday life well, pitch? I, I think it's multitasking. Quite honestly, it's special computing because it's special to say the word. Yeah, I've seen reality. one of the videos that went viral on social media about the Apple Vision Pro was a dude on the subway in New York who's typing <laughs> right on an imaginary <laughs> keyboard, and he's just sitting. There. I mean, these these are pretty funny videos. Bros, like, please, I remember with Google Glass as well. All these like loser incel, you know, kids who can't get a boyfriend or a girlfriend are just wandering <laughs> around the streets wearing these daggy <laughs> things on their face. Annihilating, annihilating any chance of uh, of ever getting getting any romantic love or affection from this universe. Uh, And now they're sitting on a on a crowded subway, tap tap tapping into the air and swipe swipe swiping. I think it's Minority Report style. You should all get a room together somewhere. I mean, really. So the idea is that. I mean, I'm somewhat sympathetic to the idea that there's gonna be. A revolution in the way that we interact with computers, yeah. right? It's unlikely that my kids, when they're my age, surely are going to be sitting down in front of a physical, like laptop or like a physical. Rad is raising her eyes, like you think it is. Do you think they're going to be typing on no buttons in? I well, I forty years. They, I reckon they will be. You reckon they will be forty years? No. Aren't they just going to be thinking and swiping and talking? Two things. One, I do think that keyboards are going to be a bit of a harder sell because the generations below are just touchscreen obsessed, touchscreen natives. Right, but the touchscreen has a keyboard on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like everything we still do is still filtered through, well, I suppose speech to text is getting better, but you're still correcting things using a keyboard, using the idea of letters on but speech to text also requires you to say it out loud, which also means that other people can hear you. Whereas a keyboard, the tech dude bros on the subway won't give a shit. They'll just be like, "Sorry, Sal, Sal." But Sam. there are ways around that, right? You can have the thing that, like in the the spy films, they have the little microphone thing. You can have bone conductance and microphones but you're here. You're still having to create the noise, but very, very quiet. I mean, there's ways around that, but yeah, it is. Imagine it is. looking up a spicy video. But the visual, the, the, the Apple Pro <laughs> thing has that. That's a, their speakers are outwards facing. Uh, they're not outwards facing. Well, they're I mean, not they're, they're not because people go, oh, I want to use this for watching movies on flights, right? But there's nothing covering your ear. There's no noise cancellation. Oh, really? There's no, yeah. I mean, that's that. I'm seems- pretty sure you can just then like pair it with headphones and use that. Instead. I hope so because, yeah, there's no, there's no noise cancellation. But yeah. I think that's part of their vision, if you'll excuse the pun, of having it be a device that you can use while still that's quote, a quote, augmented being in the yeah. Real world. Yeah. I mean, it, Again, coming back to this thing that I just sort of touched on earlier about it's hard to put yourself in the mind of an era when things that we regard as normal weren't normal. But prior to the personal computer, like, apparently the mouse was a real killer app, like a killer invention. Mm-hmm. That prior yeah, to being able to, it. yeah, to scroll <laughs> the the cursor around and click, like, that was the thing. that was a huge like, game oh, changer. Oh, yeah, that changed the game of computing. And there must be, we must be on the brink of another 
mouse, like another or bigger, probably. Yeah, in, in, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't tried the thing e- either, but in some of the videos, what is it? Casey Neistat one was pretty interesting because towards the end, you see a moment where he's kind of, he freaks out a little bit and kind of says like, I forgot I was wearing it. I had it on for multiple hours. It was just a new reality. I just had all this information at my fingertips. And you can kind of catch a glimpse of, like you're saying, that's what computing is going to be. It's going to be integrated. We're going to have something, a smaller version of that on our head all the time. And just to clarify for people, the reason why you're saying that Casey could say that he forgot that he was wearing it is because it wasn't in virtual reality mode. It would have been in augmented augmented reality mode. So he's walking around skateboarding and buying donuts and it's, you know. So it's just like a pair of glasses. You're looking at the world and it's superimposing- it's it's using cameras to catch ah, the right, and okay. then feeding it back to you on screens. Yeah. But in higher so that's the trick of it. It feels right. like it's apparently right. feels like it is like transparent glasses when it's right. not. So is it going to come down so, to how unobtrusive the hardware is? I mean, I feel like ultimately the impediment here, putting cost aside because we know that cost will come down, yeah. is just clunkiness and dorkiness. That I, nobody is going to get laid wearing that thing. I, <laughs> the, the Scott one Galloway thing. Yeah. <laughs> I could still get like it. you no, need um, to have a pair of Ray Bans that do this. I think that convenience is really the main one. I don't know that it's about like looking cool is part of it, but I think that humans are just such creatures of convenience that it doesn't matter how cool it looks. Because you could argue that the Vision Pro like. It looks futuristic. It's sleek. It's beautiful in its design in many ways, regardless of whether you personally think it's dorky or not. Uh, but if it's too heavy, people aren't going to want to wear it. Mm. If it runs hot, they won't want it. If the battery is inconvenient, it's not going to work. So it really comes down to convenience first, in my opinion. I mean, the BlackBerry was convenient, but it lost out to the iPhone because the iPhone became a consumer status good, right? Yeah, I like I feel like when it, it becomes- lost. Well, no, of course not. But I mean, the black nobody nobody got cool cred for owning a BlackBerry, whereas the iPhone was able to pitch itself like a an Hermes handbag or something, or like you know a, a pair of Gucci shoes. But it's backed up by convenient, good design. Yes. Yeah. So uh, there's there's gonna at some point we're gonna get a way of interacting with our I don't want to say documents because that sounds so <laughs> banal, but like the world of computers. Mm. That is both cool and also super convenient. But do you have a sense of what that will be? Because I'm not sure if this is it. I think it'll be glasses and rings. Glasses and rings. Yeah. What was that? Why rings? Rings. Rings. Rings, rings. To, to get finger movement. Or gloves, right. but I think rings will be like- But can they just do it with cameras now? They can do it with it's, cameras, it's good enough but, with cam- but I think there will be a desire or market to be able to like, for example, have your hands down and still be tight. Oh, micro movements. Yeah, or, micro so you're not like, like doing this in people's yeah. faces. Yeah. And while you can apparently with the Vision Pro have your hands quite low, um, mm, seems- I think people naturally are going to try and minority reports wipe the screen. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think having a little bit more tactile feedback of your hands can be down is going to, you know, influence. Yeah. And also potentially even then mean that you can, Use like an invisible mouse, essentially. Have mm. your hand somewhere and like be. Or just use the tip of your forefinger as a mouse, right? Yeah. On anything. Like that, yeah. Yeah. Or your and eyes. Yeah. I also like your idea, Joel, of having like something that you can just whisper to that is Hellacy. a bone, you know, conducting. Or maybe it'll microphone. have EEG. It'll it'll have some brain interface things on one it's of the screens. It's cooler right? though to just be so like you- search naughty teenagers. <laughs> Nurse. ASMR Perfect. version. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, then but the I'm- person next to you on the subway is like, what did you say? You're nothing. Nothing. Just talking in my headset. 
I'm really split on this device. I can't, like, part of me is that loves it. I can't, I'd love to get one. I'm dying to get one. And the other part of me is, like, watching this trend of, you know, the idea when I got my first iPhone was living in the US. It was, like, fantastic. I can, I can email on the plane and then it will send when I land or, like, all this. And then you see this, you know, our attention just changing over time and people working more and getting stressed more and getting overstimulated and all the information, you know, is now in our pocket all day, every day and next to our bed and just at our eyeballs. And now you wear this thing or a smaller version all, all day and the information is going to, you know, you don't need to reach for a phone now. It's just going to be there in our eyes mm. all day, every day. And again, it's going to have the same addiction, the same mental health challenges that come along with a phone are going to be there and they're going to be, you know, more addictive, easier to access. And I don't know how that's going to play out when this thing goes on to scale kind of thing. So there's something about our attention, what it's going to do to us that I don't think that Apple w one will not talk about because it's, yeah, it's a course. dark kind of thing. Um, well, I mean, if any tech company talks about it, Apple might. Uh, Facebook won't. Google right. won't. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's so interesting because I do. I mean, one of the reasons why Australia's national airline, Qantas, has, has dragged its feet on introducing Wi-Fi on long-haul international flights is they say that Aussies are different culturally from other <laughs> nationalities and don't want it. That we we like the fact that you get on a plane oh, and we? for fourteen oh. hours. That's news to me. That's news to me. You you have to look at. Well, maybe we just like the excuse of being able to tell our boss that we weren't uh, contactable. But um, you know, you get on a plane, uh, you know, that has Wi-Fi now, and everybody's working their little tits yeah. off. Um, but you get to you know, there was something I feel old for reminiscing about a time when you got on a plane and there was nothing to do and you just had to sort of look out the window or watch yeah. the movie on the overhead screen or read a book. You know, those moments are nice. I remember I was also living in New York when Wi-Fi was introduced or rather 3G boosting was introduced on the subway. And I used to commute on the subway and it was a great, it was an incredible experience to just sit there and look at the life of, New York and people would all sit around and you occasionally make eye contact with someone and some people would be reading and some people would be daydreaming. And then I remember when the subway got mobile phone reception and it all changed. Yeah. Everyone was just staring at their hands. We don't mind wonder anymore. Mm. We barely mind wonder as a nation or as a, as, as a species. As a people. Right. Yeah. And we don't really know what the effect that's going to be long term. I don't think it's going to be good. I think that mind wandering is a light version of sleeping and it does do interesting things to our brain, uh, healthy things to our mind. It lets out, you know, it sorts th things out in interesting ways. And if you take that away, it's going to be doing something like sleeping less. Mm. And we haven't really researched that well at the, all. The only form of mobile phone use that I condone is podcast listening, which people should do all the time. <laughs> uh, and you can subscribe, Substack, uh, uh, comfortableconversations.substack.com. Uh, or reading. Uh, I hear this new book called The Intuition Toolkit. Um, <laughs> You know, Joel's new book is fabulous. The Intuition I hadn't Toolkit. mentioned that. What's the subtitle? I was getting withdrawal symptoms. The new science it. of knowing what without knowing why. Right. And what if you that? haven't heard this uh, week's episode of the flagship uh, Uncomfortable Conversations uh, podcast, the main show, uh, which is, uh, you know, a one-on-one -on -one interview between me and someone fascinating, Joel is our guest uh, this week. We recorded it a few months ago. Um, so, Brian Johnson is a name that I can't believe I didn't know until Joel flagged it for me as someone to talk about. He's been doing the rounds promoting his life strategy of living according to an algorithm. Is this the way to live? 
Joel, what is, who is he and what is living and, and, according yeah, to an algorithm? fascinating on so mean. many levels, right? Because I And I have to be careful because I get hooked into the whole longevity thing and try and hack my life and then it gets a bit addictive and ends up being, you know, negative mental, mental health-wise. So he's, he, he started up, what was it, um, Braintree, I think the company was called, and sold it for something like $800 million. That was quite a while ago now. And since what is then, that? Is that one of those learning online? Uh, no, I think it was accounting. Do you remember? Was it oh, accounting? accounting. Oh, I, something, oh. yeah. I think it was 340 million. It was. But I'm bad. I thought it was like. No, I thought it was. No, it was close to a billion. The the self confessed math, the Magnoramus. And he's been doing interesting things. I think I ran into him at MIT at an event one time, and he was putting money into certain interesting startups. And he he has a a brain uh, EG, MEG company where they're building brain devices, which I've sort of followed that a bit. Uh, and then all of a sudden he started getting into this longevity space and he started putting, sinking, you know, I think he spends over $2 million a year on his own personal things, right? And $2 million a year on his own money, extension. on his own supplements. And he's, he, he does weekly blood tests. We- Ray Kurzweil every- levels of uh, pill popping. Uh, you know, yeah, ridiculous. Like 200 and pills. 11 pills a day. There you go. Yeah. But it brings up some really interesting things to tap into some interesting philosophies. And it, it's worth hearing him say it in his own words. But this idea of handing your life over to an algorithm. And if that algorithm more or less guarantees you're going to be healthier, happier, stronger, live for longer, be more spiritually happy, in every dimension of his life he says is better, right? And he follows this algorithm because he apparently doesn't trust his own brain. And by algorithm, just to clarify for people, you're not talking about anything to do with computers. You're talking about a set of rules? A set of rules first, and then he's updated that now to talk about it like like a democracy where he se- they do all these measurements from his organs throughout his body, his skin, his liver, his this, his that. And the idea is the, f- the algorithm is adjusted on the f- every week or so based on how the organs are going. So if he's, it's going, I'll try a new supplement and this organ reacts in a better, it looks younger, some methylation clock thing, then they'll adjust the algorithm for that, right? So he has to do exercise every morning, he has to go to bed at 8.30, he has got to do this, this, and this, stops eating at 11 a.m. and a whole lot of other things, right? Gets the perfect sleep score on all these wearables. Um, and I just find that, and he not only to say this is, you know, he says this is this is the future for everyone, and it's inevitable, right? And I think that's interesting. What exactly is that? Inevitable? We will all that hand everyone's going to be that pathological about. Yeah, he, like he's and, and he says we're all going to be at some stage following an algorithm. We can't trust our own brains to you know to, you know to go whatever late night snacking or whatever we're going to do, right? And so, yeah, we're all, we're all going to be what he's doing. We're going to be with him at some point in the future. I, and it's inevitable, which is a pretty strong and controversial statement, right? I and people interpret- freak out at this. Well, I interpret his messaging a little bit differently because I think he almost says those things as a bit of a hook to mm-hmm. kind of draw people in. But when you listen to him talk more at length, he more is talking about like being an example and almost an experiment to show people possibility, right? Like like you said, he talks about uh, this idea of everyone being on board and in an almost anarchistic way, he talks about um, everyone sort of needing to be working towards a common goal, which is don't die, and having this harmony between all intelligence in the world, that being humans and artificial intelligence. And it's the idea that we could achieve this. It's possible. But he doesn't really, in my opinion, step into a more 
I guess, future telling or prescriptive world of, I think this is going to happen for everyone or we all need to do this. It's more, this is- oh, what Some of his do. interviews, he says, it's inevitable for all of us. Like he's, what, he comes I'm, down, I'm still unclear whether he really believes about- that or he's just trying to get, like yeah. he does, trying to get a reaction from people. I'm still unclear about how much of this is qualitative versus quantitative. Like if his, if his claim is that it's inevitable that people are going to surmount the biases and inadequacies of their own brains by outsourcing a lot of decision-making to rules of thumb- and that that's the way that we'll structure our lives in the future, that might be true. And we already do that. In right, the sense that we already, bit, yeah. Right? I mean, like I already do that. If I need to lose a bit both of weight, ways then I just cross do, the street. Or there's yeah, all these right. things, there's habits we or have. Or we'll we just do, yeah, exactly. Brush your teeth every day. If I want to lose a bit of weight, then I just don't eat before noon. Uh, you know, that's easier than making a decision every single time about what I'm going to have for breakfast. Um, but if he's saying that it's a question of us all becoming as committed to the mission of life extension and of the tweaking of our physiology as he is, that would require changing people's priorities. I mean, I just Absolutely, don't care yeah. enough about eking out a final people's... five years of- No, no, no. But an additional five priorities. years of life. But he's also saying you feel better and you're happier. And like he's saying in all dimensions he, of life. He is happier. So, but would you- But I wouldn't be happier being that anal, anally but retentive his, about But his thing is- Health? You would. You think you wouldn't, but you actually would if you follow up. And that's his thing. So the only way to, to get to that point is to try it for whatever, six months or something. He also talks about looking at the world from the perspective of living in the 25th century. What are you going to look back at and go, this, is, this was good, this was bad? What were the pivotal moments of today that we will look at far into the future? And I think it's honestly so fascinating hearing him speak because he does truly have like a very different perspective that he's very very dedicated to um and while i don't agree with everything he says i think that it's very interesting and the dedication that he has you're right is kind of next level like you hear of all the things he does diligently every single day without fail and you absolutely have to respect that and i i feel like he's just this incredible insight into what humans are capable of achieving uh even if it's just about dedication more than it maybe is actually living forever right i mean maybe i just have a bias against this particular way of there's a there's a there's a cultish vibe in Silicon (laughs) Valley at the moment that is very, that pats itself on the back for being galaxy brained geniuses who are, you know, masters of the universe for life hacking everything and for tweaking everything and for measuring everything. You know, I I sort of blame Tim Ferriss for kicking this off. Uh, You know, he's, he's, you know, God bless him, but he's like, it got to a stage where, you know, I read, I heard him talking or read a, a post of his about when he was starting his podcast. He like, um, interviewed and hired a bunch of former NPR producers to analyze every single, you know, moment of his interviews and give him feedback on them. And then he like sort of life hacked his way to learn. It's like everything it's is like measured. Everything's a, everything yeah, is hacked. Everything is robotic. Everything is yeah, bureauc- bureaucratized. Everything is systematized. And to me, that that drains some of the romance yeah. and messiness out of human existence. And you lose something ineffable in the process. Yeah. No, I think 
Brian Johnson, I, th- I think he's got a very particular personality, so he finds doing that fairly easy. Exactly. That's why I, I think said a lot of people him, like he says, oh, you have to try to it for it. six months. Well, okay, the only people who are going to try it for six months are people who are likely to find it fulfilling. People who think it's a, who are going to end up thinking it's a crock of shit aren't going to try it for six months. It's yeah. a self-selecting group of people. You know, to say that, that, that it's a universal rule that, you know, micromanaging your kidney function every morning is going to make everybody happier is ludicrous. People are different. What if it was true, though, Josh? Well, what if we all did it and then we're like, fuck, this is amazing. It could be true. What grounds do we have for believing? No, I know, but what if? And that's the catch. That's his kind of twist, right? That if you all do it, you'll realise. But 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 that's just like a fundamentalist Christian saying, like, if you, you you know, just follow the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. (laughs) Like, follow me and maybe maybe you'll all go to heaven. Well, maybe, but I don't have any reason to believe you. I also think that it, really narrows down the human experience like you you know you're already saying it's only the people that are going to find it fulfilling that'll do it i think even more than that it it's kind of the shit of like you know upper middle class people in western countries right like (laughs) you know someone living in rural mongolia isn't gonna like look at this thing and be like oh yeah sounds lit like i i truly do think that i'll be happier it doesn't it's not cross-cultural Oh, absolutely. At not, all. No. Um, so I, I don't even think that that's a question. There are too many people in the world for this to even be an option as something that's going to happen. The people in Mongolia know. could dra- dramatically enhance their yak herding well, if they were just more focused and diligent <laughs> about the metrics of they yak herding. went to bed herding. at 8.30, Every stopped eating day. at 11. Yeah. They measured the number of mills they were squirting of milk out of their <laughs> And then, like, he's also talking about all of these supplements that are entirely a luxury that he even has access to. Like, Mm. people in Mongolia subsist on mostly meat and, like, dairy products. Like, how (laughs) are they going to get this early? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's also interesting, the the cutting edge of these supplements, it's always changing. I mean, you listen to Huberman and, you know, guys like that, and, they're you know, they're saying, oh, actually, well, 18 months ago we talked about this incredible thing, but, you know, now it turns out that it actually kills you. It was, it was like that with this diabetes drug. I bought a whole bunch of it in Thailand thinking that I was, uh, you know, going to, it was just so obvious that it was good for you. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, the, um, um, but it actually blunts the effects of exercise and a whole lot of things. Yeah, yeah it turns so, out uh, luckily I never took it because uh, yeah. I, I just thought, what am I doing? But it was about a phase of my life where I was on a huge health kick and I lost like 20 uh, kilos. No, there were certain influencers who, were, who were lot of, There was a lot of science about how this, uh, this diabetes medication, which is very safe, which is taken by hundreds of millions of people every day, um, is a is is a clear longevity uh, drug because of the relationship because of what it does to your insulin levels um, and uh, yeah now they've just gone back on that yeah so does it do anything for you if you don't have diabetes is it like dangerous if you don't have diabetes uh, yeah there is some suggestion now that it is that's my point but at yeah. the time they were saying like there's no harm in taking it because people who don't have diabetes who take it seem to outlive uh, even people with diabetes. I'm mean, yeah. sorry, even people who don't have diabetes who I don't can't, take the drug. I can't help but experiment with all these things as well. It really? drives my wife crazy. I'll like bet. I just like Yeah, I just did like the four four months of the carnivore. Oh right. With, with added, no! Yeah, but I added in the fruit and the honey and the uh, eggs and cheese. Another friend just, of mine yeah. is on this. So I'm often, I've kind of Do you feel I've, great? Did you feel great? Uh, y- because I I run a bit and I do a lot of sauna. No, I found that that the electrolyte wise, it just even with the fruit, it wasn't. It wasn't I couldn't. She just, swears yeah. by it. She loves it. Oh, people go oh, people just, just meat. Love it. Can you can you imagine that? No. Right? Like, yeah. just, she gets cucumbers. Apparently, like cucumbers. The texture. Yeah, it's hard meat, to live cucumbers, texture wise with fruit, so little things. But yeah. Honey, 
cheese. That sounds so unenjoyable. I'm, I'm just, I'm <laughs> such an advocate of like, we are humans, we are messy, we're strange. Just embrace it and live, you know, as well as you can. And like for, for Brian Johnson, that is absolutely analyzing every little crevice of his life. And I think it's so exciting because I do think that we're going to learn a lot through this uh self-imposed and chosen human trial of a hundred different ways to try and extend your life. And that's cool. But just, I don't know that extending life should be the goal. I think enjoying It's one life. of his goals, I think he says, but yeah, yeah. probably his main one. Yeah. But all I think things enjoying in, life should be the goal. All things yeah. in moderation, including moderation. I mean, one of the things that I haven't heard him talk about, and if, you, if you're listening, Brian, then, then he's we talked about free will, right? And agency is really important. We see lack of agency, learned helplessness is associated with a lot of negative mental health things. And handing over your liberty, your freedom to an algorithm, I think for a lot of people, who, even if they can manage to do it, is going to have a negative effect psychologically that, again, we just we haven't measured or we don't understand, mm. right? Because we've talked, I don't, I don't think we have free will. We've talked about that before many times. That may be controversial. Yeah. I don't there's no evidence we really do, but we feel like we do, and it feels very much like we do have free will and agency. And if you take that away from people, it's devastating. Also, I mean, just what's the anxiety level of constantly monitoring yourself? Yeah. Maybe for him it's zero, maybe for him it's a sense of empowerment. But for, for some people for me, it's I, not. I get it builds and builds. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Some people won't be able to hit the metrics that they're trying to hit, and that would just feel awful. Yeah, It'd that's be right. They're like, oh my God, I'm gonna die. There's also I think there's a huge where we're missing there's I mean, this is a conversation for another day, but there's a massive blind spot, I think, in the way that we talk about risks in public health as well. This is one of my bugbears where you know, in the in the period after 9-11, a lot of the messaging around terrorism and be alert, not alarmed, and, you know, mm. having red days and orange days and things like that. You know, what's the impact of that on yeah. our psychology? What other, you know, how many cancers are caused by the anxiety that is caused by that? You know, school uh, drills as well. My kids had to stay back for a, a drill. They don't call it a sh an active shooter drill because we're in Australia. Um, really? But it's an emergency drill. What do they yeah, do? It's in case something bad happens. They get under the desk They get under their something? desks. Oh, they really? They learn how to maybe you know, be corralled, where to go in case of an emergency. It's like a nuclear war thing or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what Jeez. it's about. Like we, For us, it was when there was a random dog that wandered onto school. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> it could be that. I mean, it could be a bushfire. It could be a war. I don't know what they're thinking it could be, but I guess it's, I it's in case there's... Uh, so, you know, what's the impact on the psychology of kids to feel like this is an ever-present yeah. threat. Yeah, there's an ad campaign at the moment that the Australian government has put out against skin cancer, and it's really quite grisly. And it says, like, if you knew that every time you leave the house, you could die. <laughs> you know, you, uh, you could be sowing the seeds of cancer. And it shows a guy walking outside, and then it zooms in on his forehead and you go into inside the skin and you see a black cancerous cell start to spread and these tendrils of like evil start to you know go into his head and his brain and i'm like jeez I'm we all know already. about melanomas like yeah. we are australians i get it yeah like do i have to worry about this like what's the impact on me of like having that additional layer of concern that i'm just don't leave your house just just lock the doors i know so anyway yes <laughs> draw the curtains quit yeah. with the, i don't know i don't want the algorithms to be contributing to that it's the beautiful double-edged sword of tech and science i think that we continue to be able to look deeper into things and learn more thus both 
do better with it and have our anxieties grow. Um, and I think, you, you know, we can even see this in the way that um, reproductive kind of health and conversations have changed since people started to be able to look in and see, oh, that's what a fetus looks like. That's, you know, we can see the cells as they grow. It starts to change how you conceptualize. You're comparing embryos to cancers, basically, is yeah, what you're saying here. Yeah. No, Christian saying, Wright is going to. I'm love saying this. that as we are able to see more, our perceptions of things change, and I think that it both helps in that we can, you know, treat cancer more effectively, and hinders in that it brings that anxiety. Last thing I want to pick your brains about that was in the news uh, recently. There was a shark attack in Sydney, and there was also Australia's biggest ever lottery. Uh, now, Joel, you were making the analogy between these two things because one is bad and one is good, but they both the same prey. Yeah. <laughs> they both prey upon our misunderstanding of probabilities. Why? Yeah, so I, t- I put the radio on, the TV on, and and you, days leading up to this, I watched a lot of news, which I don't normally watch. I try to avoid the news, and so I feel anxious and depressed from watching the news. So you're welcome, thanks, Josh. That your appearance um, on this podcast. Anyway, people were just like, you. "I'm not swimming in the harbor ever again," and da, 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 I'm not going to put my toe in, and all this kind of talk, right? Even though the stats, the probability of a shark attack in the harbor during summer, you can, it's, it's really rare, right? It's safe. It's safer than getting in your car. What was one thing I saw? You're more likely to be injured by a kangaroo than a shark. So you can, and but people don't like. <laughs> Is that true? That's the I, most I, I, Australian I that. statistic. I didn't follow that it up. You've ever it, but so our I, American I listeners will be like, like, "Yeah, but what about the snakes, the kangaroos? And the crocodiles? No, it's, it's the, the kangaroos because people think they can pet them. Right, and, and then they, they get punched they, in the face. They kick no, they get their, disemboweled. They, they kick with their back. Isn't that legs. a cassowary that disemboweled you? I think it's both. both. Kangaroos can with their kick, but yeah, they can they. You send sharp nails. You got to box them and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, so yeah, so people get this, and so and it happens to me, right? I go for a swim, and I, you know, I'm old enough to remember the Jaws music and Spielberg, and I start thinking of the, the sharks that swim underneath me. I can look down, where is it? And, and you start freaking out. The limbic system, the emotional parts of your brain become active because you're imagining things, and you become really scared. Doesn't matter what the probabilities are, what numbers someone shows you, you start emotionally thinking. Right. It doesn't even matter if the probability is zero once you get the the, the worm in your brain. <laughs> the worm, I mean, I was yeah. swimming in on a, off a Greek island in very clear water, and I was swimming quite far out into a series of like rock caves by myself. And for some reason, the idea of a shark popped into my head. It's the Mediterranean. There are no man-eating <laughs> sharks yeah. in the Med, but like. Just the fact that blood I was in there, the water there all alone, happened, and like the water was deep, and I could see a long way. I just started getting the heebie-jeebies, but it's like a bit like you know starting to be afraid of a ghost or an alien when you're in bed and everything's dark. It it's a monster in. reflex, isn't it? Regardless yeah. of probability. And then the lotteries, right? We had this big lottery last week, two hundred million, I think it was, and it's a similar thing, right? Everyone ignores the probabilities of winning, and more people buy it, and the probability of winning goes down as more people buy it, and but everyone just imagines, oh, but you got to be in it to win it, and so everyone imagines the change of life and all this. Even though the data on winning lottery is actually mixed, a lot of people regret it a year later. And there's some interesting things with happiness there. But anyway, so both these examples of that we don't do well with probabilities, particularly low probability things. Mm. And low probability, L, is actually going back to, did I mention I have a book that just came out? (laughs) I may not have mentioned it to you yet. Anyway, there's an acronym in there called SMILE, and the L in that is for low probability. And and I sometimes call that the shark attack rule because- don't use your intuition for these kind of things, right? Don't try and feel your way around lotteries or winning or shark attacks. 
because the emotions take over. We just don't get probabilities. Mm, plane crashes. Plane crashes, yeah. right? We get emotional thinking. We start getting scared. So that's one of the rules around intuition. We should stay away from that. I just think it's interesting when these things take over and they spread almost like a virus mm. horizontally through the nation. Are um, you vulnerable to this stuff, Rad, or are you like a hyper-rationalist? Uh, oh, uh, I am a deeply anxious person. Really? A uh, gift from my mother. Yeah. Um, no, I'm sorry, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, she is someone who is very, very good at predicting outcomes and very, very uh, motivated to avoid bad outcomes, right? And I think that that's in a lot of ways very natural. And I think you're right. It requires sort of active choosing to move away from that and go, I know that the probability is low and therefore I'm not going to make this decision. So one example is I have a very beautiful dog that I love very much and my mom is terrified of me tying him up outside a shop or something to go inside the shop because she's like, what if something happens to him? What if someone steals him? Uh. When I was a kid and there was that uh, really, really awful story about, I think, a three or four-year-old boy who was taken by two eight-year-old boys in the middle of a, like, a crowded area and killed, she really freaked out. And she was like, what if that would have happened to you? And, you know, you can start to take in all of those stories and go, the worst case scenario is so bad that I am unwilling to even roll those dice. Mm. And that is something that has, in a lot of ways, been instilled on me. I try to move away from it and I go, look, Australia is a country where there is a culture of tying dogs up outside. I generally am only ever gone 10, 15 minutes. I don't tie them up anywhere hot. I don't tie them up near the road. I take all of these precautions, but it still sits inside you, this fear of the what if. And I think on the flip side, you have the hope of the what if with the lottery example. And baby, I think that's just being human. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong, is there, with a with using the algorithm to go back to that of I want to I don't want to tolerate any risk of X, therefore I'm not gonna do Y. You just have to be consistent about the application of that refusal. So like I don't think it's Irrational and, necessarily. Or, or, but, but you want to rank, right? So, so you don't want to go around being worried about it being hit by lightning. Like things that are very that's low, what I mean. right? Well, like you, want to, I mean. you want to rank I mean, them so well, yeah, yeah. cardiac I mean, events are the, at the just top to of the list, that, right? To finish that point, to actually be consistent would derange your your, your life. So yeah. take the example of a plane crash. Like I don't think it's unre- it's inherently unreasonable to say, I want the risk of dying in a plane crash to be zero, therefore I'm not going to fly. But you would also have to say- Therefore, I'm not going to drive. Like, it's so much. There are so many other riskier things that, you, in order to be consistent, you would also have to say, I'm not going to take all of these other risks. But why do you have to be consistent? Well, that's a good point. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's okay to be like, I just don't. I don't want any risk of dying in a plane crash. What's wrong with that, Joel? Well, I think no. I think the point more is is around. Right, there's a cost to whatever you pay attention to as an individual or as a nation, right? And if we pay attention to all the things that are, feel scary. The sharks, the snakes, the Teslas taking control and smashing, you know, drive, take the cars going crazy, whatever the thing is that is most emotional, then we're ignoring the things that actually cost lives. So there's a cost to that. So we, whether an individual or as a nation or as a politician, you have to choose where the resources go. Mm. And you want to match that, not 100%, but more or less with the things that are most dangerous, right? So what's the Jerry Seinfeld thing that people are more afraid of public speaking? Than, than dying, than dying, so yeah. they'd rather be in the casket than give the eulogy, right? And so that's I mean, it's funny, but it's kind of true as well, right? So as a nation and as individuals, the things that are most dangerous, we should put our resources towards. 
and be and avoid or apply an algorithm to those. And the things that are really maybe very scary and keep us up at night, but actually aren't very dangerous, we've got to find ways of psychologically dealing with that. I guess it depends whether or not we're just talking about do I not want to die or is there a particular scenario that I'm trying to avoid? Like I'm, I'm quite good at making my rational brain override my lizard brain. So I can nice. force, it is nice, <laughs> it is nice. And, and it's, I can understand how awful it must be to not have that ability because I spent the first half of my life uh, judging people who don't have that ability for not having it and thinking that they should just when get, you're tired, get their shit together. Low blood sugar, they, but that will change, right? When you're low, when you're yes, eating for a long absolutely. time. There are times tired. when it's easier and times when it's and not. It's but, get harder, you know, if harder. I'm on a plane and I, and, you know, and I, start, I, I freak out because I wake up and there's horrendous turbulence or something, I just you know, force my rational brain to go, you know, this is vanishingly unlikely. Stop being so- yeah. Stop having you, so much hubris that you think that you're going to be in a plane <laughs> crash. It's like- Have you ever had like an anxiety attack or anything? Like yeah, that? I have. Yeah. 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 I've had it a, a couple of times. One of the worst, a couple of the worst experiences of my yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, you've you've had that experience of body takes over. Yeah, total right? out of controlness. Yeah. And yeah. I think that for that, for some people, that is like the experience. Yeah. Of yeah, it's awful. Looking at any of these probabilities, that's you think about the what could happen and it's unbearable. Mm. There, there is no rational brain that can come online. And that's a whole different conversation about- Yeah, mental health and the way our brains yeah. work and everything. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you've enhanced my mental health through this conversation. Thank you, Joel. <laughs> Thank you, Rad. Uh, love it. I have you on the show. Good fun. Good fun.